Milwaukee United Church of Christ presents Hope and Challenge, the reflection by the Reverend Jean Randall Bodman, presented on Sunday, July 2nd, 2023. In the words of the old hymn, the cup of water given for you still holds the freshness of your grace. Let us pray. Holy One, make the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts a doorway to the freshness of your transforming grace as we gather together, thirsting for new life, trusting in your presence. Amen. Jesus called his 12 disciples to his side and he gave them authority and he sent them out to announce that the kingdom of heaven had come near to them. He gave them instructions on what to take with them and how to carry themselves, how to put their failures behind them When you get to a house or a town where they will not welcome you or listen to you, shake off the dust of that house or that town. Put it behind you. Move on. Keep going. He told them to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves, a dual consciousness they would need because they were for sure going to face persecution and slander and upheaval wherever they went. But he said, don't be afraid. The heavenly one, your father, who knows every sparrow that falls, is paying attention to every detail and is with you. Finally, Jesus said, whoever does welcome you welcomes me, and whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. The one who offers you shelter and sustenance because they hear your words and recognize prophecy in them, those ones will receive the the reward of a prophet. We can understand that to mean, and we can hold on to the promise that that means entry into God's kingdom at the end of the age. But also, we can understand and hold on to the promise that that means the reward is to hear and understand the words of a prophet to receive vision and transformation and hope immediately now. The one who welcomes you as a righteous person will receive the reward of the righteous person. Words that help them sustain a life lived in integrity, a life where their insides match their outsides. Even the one who welcomes you with so much as a cup of cold water will have their reward. They will have the joy of giving and receiving hospitality, the joy of presence and sharing and belonging. We often hear these words as an instruction on what to do, give cold water, and that's a good instruction. But it isn't what's actually in the text. What's in the text is you will receive cold water when you are sent out. This so-called mission discourse, in which Jesus instructs the 12 on how they should go out and what they will be able to do and what they can expect, it's one of the five discourses around which the whole of the Gospel of Matthew is built. Matthew assumes that the newly formed church to whom he is writing is a church that is sent. 
It's a missionary church. The mission includes not just people who have been specially selected or ordained or called out, but everyone who has been baptized. Which makes me wonder, what is Matthew's Jesus saying to us? What can it be mean to be sent in our context, in a post-COVID, rapidly de-churching America, where fewer and fewer people are attending churches of any kind, but everyone has some idea of what they think Christianity is. An America where Christianity has brought itself into disrepute, especially among younger people. We have brought ourselves into disrepute by sexual and financial scandals, by the perception that Christians are all homophobic, and by a too close association of the Christian right with the political extreme right, and a perceived slide toward autocracy and Christian nationalism. An America where too often the word Christian has become synonymous with the worst of what our tradition holds. In her 2020 commentary on this passage, Debbie Thomas highlights the disparities between serving and being sent in our world and being sent into the world of Jesus and his disciples. We are used to being the ones who wield institutional and cultural power over the people we are set out to help, we are set on helping. We are accustomed to being the privileged ones with the answers, the ones who benevolently welcome, give generously, offer charity and hospitality to those who are less privileged than we are. Now this is not a condemnation of welcome and generosity and hospitality, of course, but it is to question the assumption of institutional and cultural power. And it's a reminder that when we reach to help, we should be reaching out and not down. Debbie Thomas continues in her words, this isn't entirely bad, but it was decidedly not the case in Jesus' day that those who were sent were sent with cultural power. When Jesus sent his disciples out into the world to share the good news of God's kingdom, he sent them out as vulnerable outsiders. They had no religious institutions to back their efforts. They had no political tools to wield. They had no super PACs. They had no cultural capital to spend. They had no power at all except the power of the Holy Spirit moving through them to sustain them. Jesus told his first messengers to carry nothing, no money, no food, no extra clothes. He told them to assume a posture of extreme humility and depend wholly on the hospitality of the people they wished to serve. Even the simplest, most basic of their needs, the need for a cup of cold water on a scorching hot afternoon, even that would have to be met by others. I can only just begin to imagine what this might mean. In a past life, when I spent my time serving as the pastor for youth, we used to take trips every year, service trips every year. And one year we traveled to Mexico, to Rosarito Beach, just south of Tijuana. 
And while we were there, we stayed at a campground. We slept in tents, we took showers in with buckets, with water that was not potable. We had very special lessons for the teenagers ahead of time, reminding them to close their mouths in the shower so they wouldn't get sick. And during the days, we were on site building a house. We had packed all of our food for the week and we, you know, campers, we had gear. But what we didn't have was water. So while we were at the campground, we were reliant on our hosts for potable water. And while we were on the work site, we were reliant on our hosts for water, without which we could not have survived that week. The family for whom we were building, with whom we were building, I should say, um, took great joy in offering us not just the water that was part of the agreement when you build a house with someone, they agree to, bring, to give you the water that you will need. They also, every day, offered us something different. One day it was a watermelon sold from the back of a car that came down the hill. One day the mother of the family sent her son up the hill to a bodega to get soda for us, cold soda. And when he came back with Pepsi, she reprimanded him loudly and sent him back up the hill for Coke. <laughs> it was very important that the Americans have Coke. The last day, it was tamales that she made laboriously with a lot, of, a lot of time spent, cooked right there outside, beside the build site. It was humbling to be so dependent, and it was also an honor to receive and be welcomed in the way that we were. It was a tiny little, tiny little window, because of course, we lasted one week, and then we got in our vans and we drove home where we didn't have to remember that we are dependent on other people for everything we put in our mouths. For every morsel of food, there is someone who grew it and picked it. But it becomes invisible, and we imagine we earned it with our work. For every glass of water, there is someone who has dug the well, and there are water right. Everything we have and rely on is part of a web of interdependence. But it's easy to imagine that that isn't true. And it is heart-stopping to have been, even just for that small time, to go through that doorway and to feel our dependence on one another. What does it mean, this missionary discourse, what does it mean for us here in 21st century America? Here on the other side of COVID, when we are looking around at all of our cultural institutions and wondering about the shifts that are going on around us in school and work and church. I wonder if it's possible that being forced to re-examine our cozy relationship with power over the long history of the church, being forced to redefine our place in the wide world that Jesus loves might be a good thing for us. As Reverend Thomas wrote, Quote, clearly Jesus thought there was great value in ministering from the margins. He wanted Christian witness to flow from humility and vulnerability, not from complacency and comfort. He wanted his good news to be preached from a place unencumbered and untainted by the temptations and corruptions of human power. He wanted the message of God's saving love to come from dependent outsiders, from the edges of society, and not the center. 
I hear a lot of lament these days about the declining influence and authority of the church in Western culture. This is Debbie Thomas writing, and I confessing that I am one of those who has spent some time in lament and sorrow for what I see as a change that is hard for me. Certainly, she continues, there are legitimate reasons to worry and to grieve. But what if decentering is a good thing for Christianity? What if we need to learn the art of receiving welcome before we can extend it honestly in Christ's name? What if the people we sideline as recipients of our charity are actually meant to be our teachers? Close quote. I have been so fortunate in my life to belong to and as an adult called to work in healthy churches. Not perfect, because we're just human, but healthy, generous churches willing to grow and change. Churches that are not just open and affirming of LGBTQ others, but loving our LGBTQ members, treasuring them, aware that without the gift of each other, our community would not be whole. I've been fortunate to be in churches willing to examine our history and uncover the ways that Christianity writ large and our very own denomination have been complicit in the conquest of this continent and in the creation of a national economy built on the back of slave labor. Churches willing to examine our own biases and work to become always more open and more generous hearted. I love the way our conference minister, Tyler Connolly, puts this. He talks about it this way, about facing the errors of the past, not to revel in shame or to scold, but to repair the harm that our ancestors caused, even when they believed they were acting in righteous ways. We do this in the hope and the prayer that our descendants, two and three and five generations from now, will take care of us and repair the harm that we have caused because we didn't realize something we were doing was causing harm. I'm so grateful for the congregations I have belonged to, and yet I am deeply aware of the reputation that Christianity has developed, only some of it in any way related to what I experience as a Christian person. I often wonder to myself, and I know I've wondered aloud with several of you, if I were a young person who had not grown up in healthy, life-giving churches, if I were a young person who had grown up one of the nuns with no religion at all, if I'd been brought up with no religious tr tradition and everything I knew about Christianity came from the media, from the news and from entertainment, what would I think then? If that was my situation and I had questions about the meaning of life, about what it means to be a human being, what we owe each other in community, if I had some whisper of spiritual experience and a sense of wonder or longing for more, would I think to myself, I know who can help me. I'll find a church. I don't think so. If all I knew what was, is what is in the media, I don't think church 
would sound like a life-giving place to me. I would be frightened, I think, of church. And this is exactly what I think the invitation of today's gospel story is for us, to speak and embody the love of Christ in this world, a world that is increasingly dismissing the church as at best superfluous and at worst malign. We are invited to embody Christ's love in this world, not to convince or to convert anyone, but to serve them and to invite them, to be transparent about what brings joy, what gives us hope, and what provides meaning to our lives. We need to come out of our closets as Christian in the world. I wonder if any of the rest of you, like me, are sometimes uncomfortable with the word Christian because it has been taken over to mean something different in the public square, something that makes no sense to me. I think about the Reverend Lillian Daniels who wrote a book titled, Tired of Apologizing for a Church I Don't Belong To. I feel that sometimes. I remember when we first moved to Oregon after living in Boulder, Colorado, and my son Caleb was in, I think, sixth grade at the time, and he came home from school and rushed in the door, and he said to me with horror in his voice, Mom, the boys at my new school use the word gay as an insult. He, was, he had never experienced this yet. A few weeks later, I went to pick him up from lacrosse practice, and I overheard him standing in a little circle of kids they were having a vehement conversation, and one of them said, you think gay people can get married? Are you even Christian? To which he replied, duh, my parents are ministers. We're just not that kind of Christian. We're the peace and social justice kind. Now, in that moment, I was so proud of him for sticking up for the vision of Christianity that he understood. I was proud that at least at that point in his life, he was comfortable wearing the label Christian. And we also talked a lot about being careful about dividing the world into our kind and their kind, because right there we fall into the same pit. But this is the invitation to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, to claim our identity as followers of Jesus, to tell the richness of our experience, not to shy away from the complexities of the church and the harms it has done historically and continues to be complicit in, in this world. But to tell the vision we have received. Now, unexpectedly, our text from Genesis helps us with this. This difficult story of enslavement, including loss of bodily autonomy, forced pregnancy, poverty, sexual and economic exploitation, abandonment, jealousy, homelessness, it paints our ancestors, Sarah and Abraham, in the worst possible light. That it is included in our sacred texts is a reminder to us to mend what our ancestors have broken. And it is also a reminder that the divine blessing flows where we do not know it is flowing, that God made and kept promises to Hagar also that divine blessing flows even to those who we exploit, to those we fear, and to those we label as foreign. We never, ever can limit where God's blessing 
is flowing. This calling to speak Christ's love and justice is ever more urgent. As the Supreme Court makes decisions against affirmative action and LGBTQ rights, as companies capitalize on Juneteenth and create material to sell, while at the same time, governments in those same states are banning the teaching of the history of Juneteenth. When the law fails to welcome and include the practice of hospitality, and falls back, it falls back to those who envision a truly accepting society. It falls to us to lift up a place of reciprocal generosity, a place where we can be humbled by the tender knowledge that at any moment we could be guest or host. And we must allow ourselves to be both. It is not just the court. It is not just state governments. It's also many churches that are turning away LGBTQ people, blaming immigrants for all the ills of the country, precluding women from leadership. When the voices of exclusion and hate are loud, our doors must be kept wide open. Our hearts and hands must stay wide open. And we must also learn to open our mouths and share the vision of a Christianity that is both news and good. A Christianity that invites and welcomes and makes space for those who are seeking, not by supplying every answer, but by sharing ourselves, sharing our experience of God's presence, and listening in return. On Friday evening at the opening of the General Synod of the United Church of Christ, the Reverend Karen Georgia Thompson spoke. She's the nominee to be the next president and general minister of our denomination. The first, if she is elected, which she is expected to be, she will be the first woman to, to hold that role and the first African-American woman. She addressed the General Synod and she spoke about hope and about challenge, about decolonizing the theology of the church and about opening our doors ever wider. And she reminded us to be of good hope with the words of this poem. We are the dawn, the first light in the morning sky. We are the beginning of new blooms, the evidence that love has taken root and is at home among us. So be bold, be vulnerable, accept a cup of cold water where it is offered and be ready to pour out in return. Amen. Listen.